We're beginning this year with a series of four sermons from the life and psalms of David, which correspond with who we are called to be as followers of God and correspond with what we know God is calling us to do and where we feel that God is calling us to go. A couple of weeks ago, we saw from Psalm 28 that we are people of prayer. And so we are seeking this year to pray more intentionally and more frequently and more fervently with each other before, during, and after all of our worship services. Please take that seriously and join with us in prayer this year because if God is not in what we are doing, then what we are doing is destined to fail. We saw last week from Psalm 29 that we are people of worship. Pastor Glenn taught us that the meaning of life is to enjoy God and to worship Him together. With that in mind, we've begun the process of hiring a new worship director here at Hope so that he or she might help lead us in our praise to God. We ask that you would pray with us and for us in this process that God would provide the right leader and provide the necessary finances to hire our worship director by year's end. This week, as we look at Psalm 30 together, we'll see that we are people of faith. And so, because we are people of faith, there will be times when God calls us to step out in faith and to do what He's telling us to do, even if we don't feel like it. To go where He's telling us to go, even if we don't know the outcome. To be who He's telling us to be, even if we don't always understand why. Today we'll look at four ways that we should react to the Lord because of who the Lord is and because of who we are in relation to Him. Today we will see that we are people of faith. But before we look at God's Word together, will you pray with me this morning that He would speak to us powerfully through His Word. God, we pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to speak to us powerfully this morning as we read your Word together. Please use it to lead us and guide us in which way we should go and to mold us into who you want us to be. May we act like who you have already made us into, people of faith. And may our faith not only draw us nearer to you and nearer to each other, but draw others nearer to you as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now if you would, as we get started this morning, open up your online bulletin to the sermon outline or to take your blue sermon outline out of your paper bulletin this morning and also keep your Bibles open to Psalm 30 and let's look together at how we react to God because we are people of faith. Look with me if you would to the description of our psalm this morning next to your chapter number in your Bible. Do you see what it says there? It says a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. There are several things that I want to point out about this title that are significant to our study this morning. First, it is David that wrote the psalm. So as we talk today about our reactions to God, we will use David as our example. And secondly, this psalm was written as a song of dedication of the temple. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because David never saw the completion of the temple. It wasn't until after David's death that his son Solomon was able to build the temple which replaced the tabernacle as the primary house of worship for the people of God. So this psalm, which is a song of dedication of the temple, is actually a psalm of faith. 
David looked forward to a time when the temple would be completed, and he wrote this song out of faith in the saving, good, merciful, and faithful God. This psalm, Psalm 30, is traditionally the psalm that is recited each year by the Jewish people during Hanukkah, which actually just ended about three weeks ago. I'm guessing that there are not too many who are here this morning who do celebrate Hanukkah or even know what Hanukkah celebrates. So let me tell you, Hanukkah is a festival of lights. Instead of one day of presents, they have eight crazy nights. Adam Sandler, anybody? Well, that's, that's Adam Sandler's description of it. I won't be quoting Adam Sandler anymore this morning. Actually, Hanukkah celebrates or commemorates the rededication of the temple in a time that is historically in between our Old and New Testaments. Although we don't celebrate Hanukkah, we do believe that the events it commemorates are true. In fact, I believe that Jesus himself celebrated Hanukkah. Listen to John 10, verses 22 and 23. It says there, At that time the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. The Feast of Dedication that was happening in Jerusalem in the time of Jesus was Hanukkah. It was a time to celebrate the rededication of the temple for God's work. And Jesus was there, and he was walking in the temple in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. Historians believe that Solomon's Colonnade is the only part of the original Temple of Solomon that remained in Jesus' day. Now, why do I say all of this? Because this psalm today, which we're going to use to focus on our reactions to the Lord as people of faith, does not make reference, besides in its title, to the building of God or or the house of God or the tabernacle or the temple or to the church as a meeting place for God's people, but has a significant connection to the temple historically and therefore should hold an important relation to us as we think about our place of worship today. Twelve years ago, we had a dedication for our upcoming new church building where we gathered together uh, to pray that God would do something great in our new building. And we had our groundbreaking together there as a church. I brought a picture of that day for you to show you guys. Look at those two young guys. That day we looked forward in faith to the building of a new church building, the place that we are gathered together here today to worship. And we ask God that he would do something great here. And we ask God that he would show his faithfulness here. Today, as we look at Psalm 30 together, we will talk about four ways that we, in response to who the Lord is, should react to the Lord. So look back to verse 1. David says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought me up, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. The first way that we react is to glorify the Lord because he is Savior. That's who David recognized God to be in the first few stanzas of his song. He said, the Lord has drawn me up. 
He has not let my enemies be victorious over me. He has brought me out of Sheol or rescued me from the grave. He has restored me from the pit. He has saved my life. David saw that the Lord is Savior. He recognized that God is known for his ability and his willingness to save his people. And so what was David's reaction? We see it in the first four words of our psalm. I will extol you. I know extol is probably not too high up there on your list of top words. Actually, if someone came to me and said, I will extol you, I probably would start to get nervous. Extol me? Do they, they mean they're going to crush me or, or trample me or, or blackmail me? Extol me. Maybe, maybe I'm going to get audited or something. But that's not what David was saying, of course. He was actually saying, God, I will extol you or exalt you or glorify you or literally lift you up. It's actually a nice play on words in this first verse. We could translate it to say, I will lift up the Lord because he has lifted me up. David remembered God's salvation and he glorified or exalted or lifted up God in worship. And Moses did the same thing when God saved him, and, and, and the people of the time of the Exodus did the same thing when God saved them. Moses led the people of God out of Egypt to the shores of the, sea, uh, uh, the Red Sea, and because the Egyptian army pursued them, God chose to save them by opening up the sea, allowing the Israelites to walk through on dry ground, only to close the sea up and swallow up the Egyptian army. Moses and the Israelites were saved by God, so they immediately started to sing. And listen to what they sang from Exodus 15:2. It's on your outline this morning. They said, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. That word exalt is the same word that we translate as extol in Psalm 30. It's God's power and willingness to save that caused Moses and the people of the time of the Exodus and David to react by singing, Lord, I lift your name on high, that caused them to sing glory to God. Now let me ask you this. What gets you out of bed on Sunday morning? What causes you to endure the frustration of getting your kids up and fed and dressed and out the door? Why do you get in your car on Sundays and come to church when it would be easier to just stay in bed or to have a lazy brunch with your family or just to hang out and wait for the playoffs to start? Because that's what your neighbors are doing, right? Now for me, you'll find me here regardless of how I'm feeling any particular Sunday because I'm getting paid to be here. But make no mistake, that's not why I'm here. Don't tell the deacons, but I'd do this job for free if I could. Because the Lord is my Savior. I will glorify Him. And I know that there are many here who feel the same way, who choose every Sunday to be here for that same reason. God's Word reminds us every time we read it. The cross reminds us every time we look at it. God's people remind us every time we gather together with them to worship that the God who we worship is Savior. He has lifted us up out of the grave, out of the certainty of the death that our sins guaranteed to bring us life. 
And when we truly recognize the significance that God is Savior, we are inspired to glorify his name. And when David was faced with fighting against the giant Goliath, he he thought back to when God had saved him in the past from a lion and, and when God had saved him in the past from a bear. And he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. That statement by David is a statement of faith and a statement that brings glory to God. I have faith that God will deliver me because God is Savior. David's faith in the Lord as Savior allowed him to bring glory to the Lord and our reaction should be the same. When we think back to how God has saved us in the past, we will be confident of his saving power in the present and in the future. So we should extol, exalt, lift up, and glorify the Lord because he is Savior. The second way that we react is to sing praises to the Lord because he is good. So look back again to Psalm 30, starting in verse 4. There David said, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. What is it about God that David recognized in these verses? He acknowledged that God is holy, and he acknowledged that God has a righteous anger, and he acknowledged that God shows favor. All three of those things are are tied directly to the goodness of God. When we recognize that God is holy, we recognize that he is good. He is good because he is set apart from anything and anyone. He is good because he is above and before everything and everyone. He's good because he's perfect in every way. Secondly, when we recognize that God has righteous anger, we also recognize that God is good. He's good because he doesn't tolerate sin. He's good because his anger is directed toward all evil. He's good because he is consistently and without exception just. He is always bent towards righteousness and always bent away from immorality. Thirdly, when we recognize that God shows favor, we again recognize that he is good. When we hear that God shows favor, it doesn't mean that God shows favoritism or God picks favorites. It just means that he does good to those that are his followers. I want to ask you a question. Raise your hands. Who here this morning is a parent to multiple kids? Okay, so quite a lot of you here this morning, parent to to multiple kids. I got a couple of questions for you. If someone came up to you and said, which one of your kids is your favorite, what would your reaction be? Now, you're, you're thinking in your head, well, I, I kind of do have a favorite, but I'm, I'm hoping you'd say, I love them all the same. But maybe here's a better question. What would you say if someone asked you, which one of your kids do you want to do good for? Yeah, yeah, all of them. Jesus talked about the favor of God by saying in Matthew 7, 11, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The favor of God then is synonymous with the goodness of God. In Psalm 51, the same Hebrew word that is translated favor here in Psalm 30 is translated there as good 
Psalm 51 was a song and a prayer written by David as well. And and in that psalm, David said to God, do good to Zion and your good pleasure. And we could rightly translate that verse as have favor on Zion because you are good. In other words, God does good because God is good. Or God is good because God does good. Either way, it works. And his goodness is not something that is temporary. David says in verse 5, his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry in the night, but joy comes with the morning. When we recognize the permanence of the favor of God and the briefness of God's anger, we recognize that he is always and will always be good. And so what should our reaction to his goodness be? David said, sing praises, O you, his saints. This call from David to us, the saints, those who are set apart by God, is not a suggestion. The psalm doesn't say God is holy, so if you feel like it, sing praises to him. It doesn't say God is just, so so if you have a good voice, sing out. It doesn't say God freely and abundantly pours out his favor, so, so if you don't have anything better to do with your time, maybe try singing. No, David makes a call to the followers of God saying, sing praises to the Lord because he is good. That's why we dedicate so much time in our church services to singing. It's the same reason that so much of the Bible is dedicated to singing. It's the same reason that so many people around the world are singing praises to God this morning. You know, in the Bible there are 185 songs with David writing somewhere around 80 of them. And you know that the most frequently repeated command in the Bible is sing praises. That's why so many times in Scripture we see the followers of God gathering together to sing. Even Jesus gathered together with his disciples to sing. In Matthew 26, 30, where Jesus and his disciples were gathered together for the Last Supper, we read this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It was at the Mount of Olives where Jesus would be betrayed and arrested and and taken to trial and sentenced to be crucified. So it's pretty significant that one of the last things that Jesus did with his disciples was to sing praises to the Lord. And as people of faith, we of course want to look more like Jesus, and make sure that singing praises to the Lord is up real high on our to-do list. That's why we have set the goal of hiring a worship director this year. We sing praises to the Lord because he is good. Let's look back again to Psalm 30, starting in verse 8. David said, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. The third way that we react is to pray to the Lord because he is merciful. I'm not going to spend too much time on this point this morning because it's what we talked about for our whole message a couple of weeks ago. But in case you missed that, you can find it on our website You can find our message last week on worship on our website. But let me reiterate the importance of us praying together as a church. Do you know that there are 450 recorded answers to prayer in the Bible? 
And I can tell you personally of many ways that God has answered my prayers and the prayers of my friends and the prayers of our church. And each and every one of those answers to prayer are due to the mercy of God. God is merciful to us, so he hears and he answers our prayers. We looked a minute ago at Psalm 51 where David said, Do good to Zion. But in the very first verse of that psalm, David said in his prayer to God, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. It was in a time of great sin, immediately after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, that that he prayed this prayer. But for us, it's not only after times of deep and gross sin that we need God's mercy or that we need to react to God in prayer. We're told in in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. It's no coincidence then that prayer was the last thing that Jesus did with his disciples before he was taken to be crucified question then is, do we want to look more like Jesus praying to God for mercy or his disciples falling asleep on the sideline? Well, of course, we want to look more like Jesus, which is why our first goal this year encourages us to pray more. If you're involved in a ministry, get here early to pray with those who you're ministering with. And if not, get here early anyways and pray with other people of hope every Sunday for God to work with, with us and through us for his purposes. We pray to the Lord because he is merciful. Let's go back one more time to Psalm 30 and look at verses 11 and 12. David says there, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my joy may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. We glorify the Lord because he is our Savior. We sing praises to him because he is good. We pray to him because he is merciful. And lastly, we give thanks to the Lord because he is faithful. It's the faithfulness of God seen in his salvation and in his goodness and in his mercy which causes the most noticeable and drastic changes in the way that David reacted to God. He said, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. There's no change more palpable than someone going from mourning to dancing, than someone who has walked out of a funeral somber and sad, and they've become full of gladness, dancing with joy. In fact, if I saw someone coming out of a building and they were dancing, I wouldn't say, yeah, I bet there's a funeral going on in there. No, I think there must be some kind of party going on in that building. For those of us who know God, we know that the perspective that comes with the knowledge of the faithfulness of God allows for joy in the middle of suffering and dancing born straight out of mourning. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, the Ark that would be placed in the future temple where God himself would make his presence known to his people, the the temple that David wrote about dedicating here in Psalm 30, what did David do? We see that in 2 Samuel 6, starting in verse 12. It says there, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. Down in verse 16, it says that Saul's daughter, Michael, looked out the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. 
This wasn't just a little swinging of the hips. I, I wonder if anybody's watching kind of dad dance that David was doing. This was an all-in, full-body, joyous, God is faithful. Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. I'm excited. I don't care who sees me kind of dance that David was doing. David wanted to give thanks to the Lord who is faithful forever. David, as he wrote this psalm, looked into the future and thought about the temple that would be built and dedicated to the Lord, a place where God's people would glorify the Lord because he is Savior, a place where God's people would sing praises to the Lord because he is good, a place where God's people would pray to the Lord because he is merciful, a place where God's people would give thanks to the Lord because he is faithful my question to you today is, has, has God been a savior to you? Has he been good to you? Has he been merciful to you? Has he been faithful to you? When you hear that the Lord is savior, when you hear that the Lord is good, when you hear that the Lord is merciful, when you hear that the Lord is faithful, can you say, yes, God has been all of that and more to me. In a moment, we're going to talk about where we are hearing God calling us concerning our future buildings here at Hope. We're going to look forward with faith in the same way that David looked forward in faith to the building of the temple. But before we do that, I want to briefly look back at how God, in his faithfulness and his mercy and his goodness and his salvation, have been displayed here at Hope and the growth that he has brought us. If we could put our first picture there up on the screen. Last year, our lowest attended Sunday was 262 people in attendance. So this first chart shows over the last nine years how many Sundays we had fewer than 260, starting with 51 weeks every week except for Easter in 2011, down to zero weeks last year, 2019. On the other side of things, let's put our next picture up there. This chart shows how many weeks where we had over 300 people over the last nine years. As you can see there, God has significantly increased our numbers. And fin finally, our third picture shows our projected growth based on the exponential growth that we've been seeing over recent years. It took us 20 years to go from an average of 100 people in attendance to 200. It took us 10 years to go from 200 on average to 300, and we're growing at the rate where we will reach, God willing, 400 on average somewhere around 2023, where we'll reach, God willing, 500 on average somewhere around 2025, and we'll reach, God willing, 600 on average somewhere around 2026. Now, why should we care about these numbers? Well, first, we care about the numbers because those numbers are people, but secondly, we care because the number of people we have and the type of people we have determines the size of the buildings and the types of buildings that we need in order to continue to worship together here at Hope and to continue to reach out to our community. Since we are people of faith, we expect that God will continue to bless and continue to grow us not only in numbers, but also in our love for him. If you would turn to the back of your bulletin or the last page of the online bulletin this morning, you'll see our goals there for this year of 2020. I'd like you to look with me at the third goal on that list and read that aloud with me. Growing in faith by having each person of hope participate in a capital fundraising campaign for our new multi-purpose building so that we can break ground by 2023. 
Now let me talk to you about a couple of exciting things that you need to be aware of with this new building and with this new goal. First, our vision for the new building is in your bulletin this morning as an insert. Take some time this week to look that over. We don't have a whole lot of time now to do that, but look it over this week. Secondly, next Sunday, our prayer focus will be for our building committee, and we will have a picture of the committee for you to take home and put on your fridge so you can be praying for them throughout the year. Next month, on February 23rd, we'll have a meeting for you to hear from the committee about the plans for the building and to ask them questions about the direction that we are headed, so mark that on your calendar. And in May, at our annual meeting, we will begin to raise funds through a capital fundraising campaign, which is our goal, and with the ultimate goal of breaking ground in 2023. Now, we're at the very early stages of the building process, and there's much to be discussed and much to be decided. There's much that's unknown. But what is known is that our Lord is Savior. He is good, He is merciful, and He is faithful. We recognize that we don't need a nice new multi-purpose building to worship him. David and generations upon generations of God's people worship God in a tent. So our worship is not dependent on a great new building, but on a great unchanging God. What we need is him. And what we need from you at this point, and always, is your prayers. I want to throw one last picture up before we close our service. Twelve years ago, When we broke ground on this new building, we prayed that God would do a great work here. Here we are praying for God to be faithful to us, and he continues to be faithful to answer that prayer. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would grow us to be people of faith, that our faith in you would outweigh our fears, outweigh our insufficiencies, outweigh our wallets, and outweigh all of our expectations. May you bless us, and may you bring glory to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.